Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, David. It's going all right. You know, just preparing for this wave of uh, COVID-19 to hit Alberta and throw my profession into chaos. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a fun few months. But uh, Don't you have to yeah. thaw out first? Can it survive in cold weather? Uh, I don't Apparently, these viruses, well, if it's anything like the flu, the flu prefers cold for some reason. Okay, exactly and I sure suppose it also is. suppresses people's immune systems are suppressed in the cold as well, so it's easier to yeah. uh, get sick. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's you know, it's going to hit us uh, just a matter of time. Uh, All right. I'm not overly concerned about the virus itself, but I am concerned about uh, the chaos. You know, there the are, panic. The chaos. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of sick people, and there are going to be a lot of people panicking and right. calling nine one one and showing up clogging up emergency departments and then of course there's the question okay what do you do when i'm exposed to a patient at work do i have to now quarantine myself at work or do i come home i read israel's making or... everyone quarantine themselves for two weeks when they come to the country yeah. you can't yeah. leave for two weeks um all right well we're not going to talk about coronavirus again or today no. like everyone else we're actually going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to introduce the listeners and viewers to a mini series on morality and the virtues in particular. It's something I'm really interested in, I think is really important and not kind of honestly and, and yeah, honestly discussed in the media very much. And so I want to start this episode on virtue as such and morality kind of generally, and then go in in future episodes to the objectivist virtues. There's seven that are kind of listed in the corpus of objectivism and then talk about, you know, what you and I think are other virtues and also listeners uh, to, you know, let us know if they disagree with the ones we're talking about or if they think there are others that are important to discuss as well. So first I want to talk about virtue as such, because, you know, well, do you think there's an objective morality and there are certain things that are good for everyone? Uh, yeah, I mean, things like nutrition are good for everyone, you know, exercise probably. I, I think there's something, you know, I, I have a hard time pinning down what you ought to do. It, to me, I think there's mm. objective immorality, um, but, you know, that's a negative, right? And so right. in terms of, well, what positive step do I take? Um, that's a bit harder because um, I think that changes, like obviously even with nutrition, um, you know, eating a healthy meal like 24-7, like constantly is not going right. to be good for you, right? So, yeah. so, you know, what do I do this second right now that is the right thing to do? Right. Um, you know, that that becomes a little bit harder. I can say very clearly there are things what, what not to do. I can pick apart, for example, um, the morality of the state and point out how it's immoral, uh, but it's much harder for me to point towards positive virtues because I have a difficult time universalizing them through all time and space for everyone at all moments kind of thing. Right. And that's why I found the kind of objectivist formulation really interesting because they're not, we're very used to in society kind of rules, like this is what you should do. Whereas these, at least the way they're presented, seem to be more like principles of you still have to use your mind and see, does this principle apply? 
but it's like, so it's always context dependent. It's not like a doctrine. So the common example is like, right. don't lie. Well, no, but what if like a murderer is asking where my kids sure. are, then I can lie. Right. So it's not yeah. like so simply put all the time, but it is kind of, you know, if, and, and the other thing that's interesting to me is it's very much highlighting that morality is about, is about causality. So it's, if you want to do this, then do that. It's not just do this, do this. It's not like right, right. the commandments, you, thou shalt. It's if, then, right? Um, right? Which is kind of interesting. And then, but then it seems to kind of contrast, do people think if it's an if then, if it's context dependent and you still get to make a choice, is it really objectively good? Or is it just, oh, I get to do what I think is best or what I choose to do, right? So that's kind of quite interesting. But you know, what do you, what comes to mind as virtues then to you? Cause you know, it is obviously a lot easier for, to point out what's bad. So maybe we can start with what are clear vices, but vices sure. or virtues, what kind of stands out uh, at first as to what's good and what's bad in a moral uh, sense, not like, you know, I shouldn't eat 20 hamburgers a day or whatever. Right. Well, maybe let's start out with, um, with the negative because, um, mm you know, that is easier for me to wrap my brain around, right? And so the way I approach assessing moral claims, let's say, um, is, is it internally consistent? Um, is it self-detonating? You know, those kinds of things. Um, so, mm -hmm. for example, uh, we ought to, the government ought to tax people, Okay, that's a moral claim saying that, that it would be good for government to tax people. Uh, well, what what is that mean then? What is taxation? Taxation is taking uh, without consent. Um, you know, there are all sorts of moral claims packed into there that the government has some kind of rights that you and I don't have. Um, right. You know, like you and I can't tax. What gives the government the right? So all of this starts to fall apart when you drill down into it. And you, you realize while well, government has no right to do this, they're, they're, you can't claim it does. You can't claim that taxation is anything but theft. Um, you know, people wave magic wands and kind of use all sorts of sophistry to try to explain it, social contract theory, all these other things. But it all amounts to about a, a bunch of sophistry and a word salad at the end of the day that, that uh, doesn't describe it. So, mm. so I, I would, say then that taxation is immoral um, or maybe even the institution of government is immoral um, because it's implied almost definitionally uh, in that we're setting this institution aside and giving it rights that other people do not have. So the people here have rights that others don't have. Where did they get these rights? We, we can't figure out, figure that out. Um, and so so, uh, so I could pit, I can look at those things and I can say, okay, that's immoral. That is unethical behavior. Um, and we can't make a case that it is moral. Uh, so that's kind of, and, and that's kind of along the lines of, um, you know, hop Hans Hermann Hoppe's argumentation ethics, uh, or Stefan Molyneux has a, a book called, uh, universally preferable behavior where he, he basically, you know, goes through the syllogisms and the logic of how, why it is that theft is immoral. 
uh, mm-hmm. why it is that murder is immoral, assault is immoral, and all these things. So we can say these things are clearly immoral. We can prove that they're immoral just through the, the structure of logic and, right. and consistency. And, um, but we can't necessarily apply that same framework to say what we ought to do. Uh, right. So that's where I run into to difficulty, right? And this, this is something that I'm interested in talking with you about because, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, for example, right. what well, ought I do, what should well, I be doing day to day? Should I sit down and play my game right now? Should I be studying right. this or going out and doing that? Or like, what's, what, where do I go? So maybe, maybe you'll help me find some kind of North star to point my uh, right. ought to. Well, it's interesting that you frame it like, you know, you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because that's often how I was thinking about it in the mm-hmm. recent past. Cause I was talking before I even really got into objectivism proper. I always thought there was an objective good. There was an objective, right? Like that's just how I always, what I believe there, was, there wasn't or there was, there was like, I always, okay, yeah. I've always thought that there is a good, there is a right answer and these sorts of things. And when I started to get pushback, I said to people, well, how would you train your kids? How are you going to raise your kids? The ones who would say there's no such thing as, you know, an objective good. It's like, well, then in any given issue, you're trying to raise a kid. You just let them pick and maybe their good's as good as your good. Or what right do you have then to try and say this is bad or this is good? But two things come to mind. One is that your your kind of the, the nature of the illogic of, or the logical flaws in these things that are clearly immoral, that's the claim that objectivism makes about morality, that it is logic, like it is built in logically of what is good for sure. human life generally. But I want to yes. leave that aside and I want to kind of get your brain at least flipped, like get a, a switch flipped a little bit because I think it's very common for people generally now, but also I think in libertarian uh, ethos generally that morality is viewed very kind of culturally and societally, like what is good at a large level, but you know, morality kind of starts at home, right? It's what do you want to be when you grow up? Not how should society function? And so I would say even people who claim morality is like hard to define, it's all often easier for them to know what's negative, right? Uh, you know, I shouldn't beat my kid right? Like that, most people, most anyone good would agree, I should not beat my kid, murder children and these sorts of things. So it's like, there's still clearly things I should not do. But then how does that flip to, you know, what I should do? Yeah. Absolutely. And so, So, oh, I'm interested kind of where do you want to jump in? Should I kind of explain a bit about what I think around virtues or like, are you interested in a little bit about just very briefly kind of how objectivism claims to make claims about virtue generally? Yeah, well, let's, let's hear the objectivist uh, claims. Well, so basically it, I mean, there's a lot of kind of logical work to get to this point, but it basically argues that values only exist in relation to life, like right. And so a value is something one acts to gain and or keep and that the ultimate value in a human life is its own life. Cause so that's the only thing that is an end in itself. Everything else is, well, I do this to then get that, that, but life is basically circular 
that, well, you live to gain values, so you enjoy life and you gain values to live. And so, I mean, it's a more complex argument and fleshing out of that. Right. So, but, so, so would it, would it be fair, fair to say then, uh, you know, what's moral is what, what causes the greatest amount of health and flourishing for uh, a human life? Essentially, yeah. So it's about how do you live your best life, both in terms right. of, uh, you know, health and in terms of happiness, human happiness, right? right? Because it's illogical to claim something contrary to your life is valuable because if you're dead, you can't have values, right? Is the simplest way yeah. to put it. So you have to be aiming at life for yeah. values to even come into the picture at all. Right. And, and see, I like this approach to ethics because quite often I think as libertarians, as skeptics, what we are doing is pro- fixating on problems, on what not mm-hmm. to do, right? It's kind of like driving down a road by a, by avoiding the ditches, right? By looking right. at the ditches and steer away from that ditch. Oh, there's <laughs> another one. I better steer away from it, right? And right. instead, what we should be doing is looking at the direction we want to go and pointing at that. And guess what? We'll probably avoid the ditches if we do that. And it'll be a much smoother trip and we'll get to where we want to go and right. that sort of thing, right? And And it does stick out as like, the objectivist version of ethics is more about here are some broad principles you should kind of, you know, want, try to live by versus here's a list of things to not do. And then it's very much, well, there's so many logical holes in you just giving me a list of duties or a list of rules, right? right? Because there's so many contexts wrong. Right. The the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, when I went to grad school, um, I was doing organizational research on the place I worked and, you know, there's multiple approaches to qualitative research you can take. And the one that really that I chose that I thought seemed to be the most valuable was something called appreciative inquiry, right? So that one way of looking at an organization, if you're coming in there, if you're, if you're being hired as a consultant to say, um, uh, create efficiencies in the organization or help it operate better. Um, what you could do is survey the landscape and look at what are all the problems in the organization. Uh, you know, sick time, disciplinary things, uh, you know, you can point to these and then you can write some policies or a prescription say, or here's how you fix that. Right. And mm-hmm. then two more problems pop up unintended consequences from that. Right. And it's like, you're constantly playing whack-a-mole with these problems in the organization. But what appreciative inquiry teaches is look at what's really going right in the organization. Where are we getting the most health, and flourishing and productivity out of the organization. And, you know, it comes back to kind of a management, um, management research also kind of supports this in that organizations spend so much time fixating on problem employees when the research shows that if they spent that, put that energy towards the gifted employees, the ones that are being productive and, and supporting them and connecting them, um, the organization gets far more productive and works better. Right. And so Mm -hmm. appreciative inquiry is this, uh, this thing of looking at rather than what are all the negative things that are going on? What are the positive things that are going on in this organization? You know, and and I, I sometimes wonder, you know, because in research, your question, that question that you start with, determines your results that's commonly known right and so if you look at something like climate change for example you can ask the question what are all the negative negativities of climate change what are Mm. all the ways the climate change is catastrophic well you'll get all sorts of data about how it's catastrophic but equally valid is the question what are all the ways that climate change is beneficial and that is going to be a very different 
data set, right? And so mm-hmm. this is what is coming up in my mind as you're talking about uh, these positive values. So I'm kind of excited to hear about this because, yeah, I've, I've always been of the belief that what we ought to do is focus on the positive and really grow that and and nurture that as opposed to constantly playing whack-a-mole with the negative and knocking one thing down for two more to pop up uh, right. when you do that. Right. And that also kind of applies broadly to like what's happening in society and the media generally of like what we're focusing on and versus what we could be focusing on. But I think what what comes to mind as well is, you know, Jordan Peterson's clean up your room, right? Like even within someone, like there's a lot of flaws. And this is kind of the thing that changed my life was I was so obsessed with fixing all of my problems rather than focusing on, okay, what are the few things I actually think I'm good at? And focusing on those and building those. And that kind of links to, um, you know, objectivism says there's three kind of universal values. And to, and again, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to think that there would be something that's universally good or universally important. But it's a very kind of different term. It's a different use of the term value and virtue. So the, we won't go in depth into these, but it brings up to mind self-esteem, which is one of the three universal values, right? So I think everyone would kind of agree that it's important to feel good about yourself, to have self-esteem, right? Or even though some, you know, moralities don't hold that necessarily, but the average person would think, yeah, I do want to feel like I'm worthy, right? I do want to have self-esteem. And so that's one of the universal values is, but saying it's a value also in my mind switched the way I looked at it because before I felt well, either I have self-esteem or I don't, but it advocates, no, these are things you need to work to achieve. So I need to figure out how to attain self-esteem and that like, and so that's kind of bringing it. Yeah. If I clean my room, I'll feel a sense of accomplishment. If I do a small task and it's, even if that's how small, you know, I was at a given time, And I felt quite small, you know, at points in the past. It's about how do I, you know, take the next step of growing my self-esteem. And so the other two are purpose and reason. So saying, well, no, you should have a purpose in life, right? It's important to have something you're aiming at, right? You have to have a central purpose of what is the point of your life. But that is different for everyone, right? But it's important to have a purpose and have a rational purpose as well. So it wouldn't say that, I mean, there's more to it, but like the a purpose of killing people is not a valid purpose for, you know, deep reasons, let's say. Um, right. But the first and, you know, primary value is reason that your mind, your is really who, your reason, your ego, your sure. mind is who you are. And so yeah. you should grow that you should accept that that is uh, objectivism holds. It's your only tool of it's your tool of survival. It's your only means of knowledge. And so these three things yeah. are. Yeah, it's your, your way ma- of comparing one one state to another state, right? Right. Uh, that, uh, this is my current state right now. I need some, I need to be able to employ my reason or my rationality to determine what's a prep, more preferable state and mm-hmm. what's a worse state. So I can, uh, you know, as Peterson would say, avoid heaven and, or avoid hell. Avoid and hell. And have right, exactly. Thing, right? And so the three are all very interconnected, but it's, you know, it's about I have to use my mind. I have to be aiming at something in my life and I need to feel good about myself, right? And like okay, those so, things so, do seem so pretty re- universal. 
Right. So reason, purpose, self-esteem, and what were the other ones? No, those are the three. Those are oh, the those three are... Uh, cardinal values in objectivism. Values, right. okay. And so values is what you act to gain and or keep. And then virtues, which we'll get into in right. you know subsequent episodes, virtues are that what you do to act, aimed, or keep values. Right. And, and you, you said, again, that um, the objectivist, like all these things are built on the idea of, uh, of a flourishing, healthy, happy life. And how, right. how do, would objectivism define happiness? So that is a kind of more difficult answer, I think. But it's, right. it's, there's two different ways it's been defined that I know of. One is, a, is it's a state of non-contradictory joy. So it's mm. like that's kind of from the emotional sense when you're feeling joy, right. but your mind is really clear and there's no like there's no nagging thoughts at all of, well, right. maybe I made this mistake. So it's really kind of being integrated and in a state of non-contradictory joy. But then the other one is happiness is the state that you attain from gaining your values. Right. And so that's where life comes into yeah, yeah. like when you set values and you achieve them, most people agree. Oh, no, I, I like, yeah, that makes me feel satisfied and happy when I'm able to achieve what I'm aiming at. Right. So yeah. and I like that. You know, I, I once defined happiness for a project as because I thought, well, OK, if, if I'm pursuing happiness, it can't be like a sustained state of joy. Like I could get mm-hmm. that from heroin probably. Right. Right. And that, that's probably not what we're talking about here. Right. So the way I defined it was something like a conscious awareness that I am uh, in integrity with my life's purpose or something like that. Right. And so, so that's that sounds very similar to what uh, you're talking about here. Yeah. It's like think... integrating all my parts. And so a happy life might have periods of profound profound sorrow right where i'm Mm -hmm. grieving something someone or something that i loved and lost um where and it might have moments of ecstasy where i'm super excited about having achieved something and every every range in between right i could still say i'm living a happy life or something like that yeah and it you know a very kind of uh potent isn't the right word but example from the fountainhead by ayn rand is like they contrast Howard Rourke is the kind of hero who lives this kind of ideal, perfect life, moral life. And at the start of the book, he's still happy because he's doing what he loves and he's on the right path and he knows who he is and what he stands for. But at the end of the book, he's accomplished so many values. He has a wife he loves. He has, he's built the biggest skyscraper in New York. He's a, so he's, a fuller happiness, let's say he wasn't not, right. he wasn't unhappy then, but it's, it's like, there's still levels of attainment, but it's right, about right. that state of, I am accomplishing my values and I, and I don't have these kind of nagging doubts. Am I doing the right thing? And that's why, right. you know, this is, you know, leaving the objectivist minds corpus, let's say, but that's why introspection is so important generally, because I really need to kind of know what's going on in my head and know if I have nagging doubts and these sorts of things, because it is that sort of non-contradictory joy, which I've found kind of quite interesting parallels with Buddhism and the meditation stuff of what they're trying to accomplish in terms of kind of their there's, state but there's of no happiness. End state, there's no end state in objectivism called nirvana or utopia or something like that, right? Like this. it would just be called happiness, right? But it's like a pure, right. true happiness. And but you said there's levels to it, like there. 
I don't know if they'd call it they like can that, but there you can always like they can you know, always be improved upon. Right. So it's not like I'm ex happy and yeah. then that's it. I can kill myself because right. I'll never get happier. It's because happiness is from achieving your values. So I think if anything, right. it's maybe more like you have to maintain optimal happiness. And if you just well, I've achieved ten values. Now I don't need to achieve now, more values. Now I can you just stagnate, right? Yeah. Right, right. So it's and it's and an interesting formulation that I came upon recently was that reason, purpose, and self-esteem are all about growth. So it's not that I can just stagnate at any point. And right. so it's like, oh, I'm and 65, I, I often, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, I often say this, you know, people like I, I'm not totally comfortable with the term anarcho-capitalist. Like I, I, I want an anarcho-capitalist world because I don't see there being an, any end point to liberty. I always see as it as a struggle or a growth that we can always improve on. And so, mm. you know, utopia, nirvana, heaven, as endpoint destinations still right. aren't good enough for me. We can, even if we achieve that uh, theoretical state, I would still want to, us to do better or right. to achieve more kind of thing. Right. So, but so that's an interesting con that's an interesting point because in many types of morality, you can't achieve perfection. So in religious morality, you can never actually be worthy of heaven. It's just right. God that's, grants that's you fair. the yeah. worthiness, but in objectivism, no, you can attain perfection and, if you couldn't, then it wouldn't be reasonable for people to try and say this is what you're aiming at. But that's kind of interesting because that is that, that almost seems to be a little bit contradictory to Rand. I mean, Rand was a fan of Aristotle. She hated Plato, and mm-hmm. you know, perfection almost seems like an abstraction that's kind of floating up there in the Platonic realm a little bit. Um, right, but and I think that's kind of I I won't be able to speak like properly to this but the idea is no that like if you practice if you really hold the values properly and you practice the virtues in a way that you think is proper that is moral perfection then right like you don't have um you don't kind of let's say make mistakes in your choices right you always think about and make the right choice and so that's kind of the last important point to hit on is that morality is it requires there to be free will. It requires there to be choice. And to judge someone morally for something they didn't or couldn't choose, that is an error. And that doesn't make any sure. sense because if they didn't, if they can't choose the good and something just happened to them or things like that. So it's about, so perfection is about being able to always make the right choice, right? And mm. And potentially that's very difficult. And, you know, when you do make mistakes, you still have to be able to accept that and not kind of judge yourself too harshly and that sort of thing. But so it's not like there's a detached state of you'll never have to grow or change your perfect or omniscient or that sort of thing. But it's about, again, that state where I'm I'm always growing properly. I'm not making errors any longer. And and it's sort of like that. I, I can take my time and see clearly and make the right choices. And so like I do, I want to get to a point where I, and I think I can, where I'm not making mistakes and that sort of thing. Hmm. Okay. What, uh, what can we say is a reasonable goal to get out of this um, podcast series or, or the series we're Mm. talking about? Because um, you know what, it's one thing to kind of enumerate what are the virtues, talk about them, the, the art of putting them into practice is something almost 
entirely different, right? And that yeah. is what's interesting to me because I think, I think at the end of the day, after we've talked about these virtues, I will have come to some similar conclusion, maybe called it something different, you know, my conception of happiness and what the good is and what we ought to aim for. But mm-hmm. what I always struggle with is putting these things into practice, having the right. discipline to do the right thing. Um, and why is it that I, even though my rational mind knows that what I'm doing right now is not good for me and is not the optimal thing I could be doing right now towards the good, uh, I'm still doing this thing. <laughs> right. uh, and how do I overcome this? Because it seems like knowing isn't enough. There has to, does objectivism have anything to say about putting these things into practice? It definitely does. But it would say once you know, it's, I mean, I think what it would say is once you know rationally, it's about like willpower, right? And discipline and uh, putting them into practice, right? So there's no magic right. thing that can kind of, uh, can like that can make you do it or like that kind of thing. There's no kind of divine revelation of, oh, I should act in accordance with my thoughts. So if, if right. in that respect, I would say, and I still struggle with this as well, if there's something I know to be rationally good and I'm not doing it, I really, I introspect and I try and figure out why, why, like there must be something else at play, but I do like the kind of what is the goal or what are the kind of takeaways from this. And I think for each of the episodes specifically about the virtues, we should each try and have at least one concrete takeaway at the end of the episode as to, okay, how am I going to apply this differently in my life or what can I change to, um, what can I change to you know, implement this in my life in a different way. I think that works well. So now I can't tell if you're gone or frozen. Hello. Sorry about that. Hey. Yeah, you cut out at, uh, I think for each of the episodes we should. Yeah, so for, I think it's still recording actually. For each of the episodes, I, for each of the episodes, we should, I think, try and have at least one takeaway each of how we can kind of change our life. How can we implement, if we agree that this is something worth doing, something worth implementing, this is good, then how can I, how can we each kind of modify our life accordingly? How can we put that principle into place a little bit better? Right. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. And so... Basically, uh, to quickly summarize again, so objectivism holds that there's three kind of cardinal values, reason, purpose, self-esteem. And we'll kind of discuss those within the seven virtues um, because they each have like one of the virtues they're directly applicable to because the whole idea is a value is what you act to gain and or keep. A virtue is how you act to gain and or keep it which is also a different way of thinking about virtue. It's not either I am good or bad. I am honest or not. It's if I'm choosing to be honest, there's a, I have to work to be honest. It's not, I can just be honest because honesty is difficult and they have a different formulation of honesty, let's say. Um, But so I think that kind of approach of going through the seven and seeing, okay, how do I better apply this? I think that uh, it is a good way to think about it for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I like that. Love that idea. Cool. Any last thoughts on kind of the topic generally before we then go into uh, the specific virtues on other episodes? No, I I mean, I I think this is great. I like the, 
idea of again pointing towards the good rather than just avoiding the bad and um you know i'm looking forward to exploring this topic a bit more sweet thanks and yeah anyone who's interested uh in kind of engaging in these conversations i'm definitely really interested in your thoughts on all of this as well thanks tim thank you david